welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, if I could have you stand for a brief scripture reading today, it comes from Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 20 and 21. This is at the end of an extremely rich prayer. Paul is praying for those who first received this letter and for all who have read it since. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. The apostle says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If I can describe it this way, the brink of a new year, especially when December 31st falls on a Sunday, is a slow, looping, easy-to-hit curveball for any pastor or leader who is worth the socks they are wearing. I mean, think about it. We're right on the brink. So we celebrate the good that has happened in the past year. We release the struggles that have occurred in the past year. And we press on toward the new of the new year that is in front of us. Some rendition of this, if a pastor or leader can't come up with it, they might want to think about a new career path. And I like this time of year. I really do. I like this time of year. I like it in many ways when the 31st lands on a Sunday for this very reason. It's a chance to look back, a chance to let go, a chance to celebrate and a chance to look ahead. I just find it invigorating, as corny as it may be, uh, to think about the close of one year and the prospect of beginning a new year. Henry Nouwen, in a book called Here and Now, wrote and said it this way, we must learn to live each day, each hour, yes, each minute, as a new beginning, as a unique opportunity to make everything new. Imagine that we could live each moment as a moment pregnant with new life. Imagine that we could live each day as a day full of promises. Imagine that we could walk through the new year always listening to the voice saying to us, I have a gift for you and can't wait for you to see it. Imagine. He continues, the problem is that we allow our past, which becomes longer and longer each year, to say to us, you know it all, you've seen it all, Be realistic. The future will just be a repeat of the past. Try to survive it as best you can. There are many cunning foxes jumping on our shoulders and whispering in our ears the great lie, there's nothing new under the sun. Don't let yourself be fooled. When we listen to these foxes, they eventually prove themselves right. Our new year, our new day, our new hour become flat, boring, dull and without anything new. And then he finishes. So what are we to do? First, we must send the foxes back to where they belong in their foxholes. And I think Nowen is right every year. And this kind of reminder, I think, is needed at least once a year because the wheels of life can turn and turn and we can go through the motions and miss God's gifts and miss the surprises he sets out in front of us, and the new thing he might want to do in and through us. 
And next week, we're going to dive into a practical series. We're calling it Reboot. We're going to look at some areas that maybe have become a bit stale, and how do we reboot them in this new year? Things like marriage, parenting, prayer, uh, mission, kingdom of God, and so on. And we can certainly reflect on all this as it relates to our personal lives, but it's also a good thing to do this as a church community, to reflect on where we have been, and even more importantly, on where we are going. 2024 will be unlike any year that Oak Hills has seen since its beginning. Why? Because it is the 40th anniversary of the church, for one reason. And that is a significant thing for us to think about and, more importantly, for us to celebrate, which we will do next fall. But it's also going to be a different year, 2024, because in so many ways, like so many other churches, we at Oak Hills are standing at an unfamiliar intersection. Unfamiliar because early in 2024, we will be announcing that we are without any debt. And it's been a long time since we've been without any debt. And all the dreaming and all the imagining and all the wondering and possibilities of what we can do with some of this freed up money. It's also an unfamiliar intersection because of this rising passion for community prayer, but not just passion, there are plans in place to help us grow deeper in our praying together. Also an unfamiliar intersection because for a long time, my opinion only, meaning not that it hasn't been there in the past, but we have such a vibrant and strong unpaid leadership core at Oak Hills as we enter into the year 2024. Elders, administrative council, people in children's ministry, journey leaders, youth leaders, spiritual formation team, mission team. There are just a variety of strong, vibrant, committed, unpaid leaders at our church. 2024 also will prove to be uh, unfamiliar, and we're standing at an unfamiliar intersection because of massive cultural shifts that continue to happen that are drawing people away from God, away from Christianity, and away from this thing called church. Every survey taken now shows the growth of a group that many call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. No religious affiliation. How do we do church in a changing culture where there's a rising population of those who want nothing to do with church? And this will be a unique year because we have a contentious presidential election that will be in our doorstep soon. And all of this creates questions and challenges and lots of unknowns and promises and encouragement and hope in passages like Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine looking out into this unfamiliar. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So it's going to be a fun 40th year, and to get it going, we thought it was a good idea to have a conversation with the founding pastor of our beloved Oak Hills Church. So give him, Ken Carlson, a warm and passionate.
All right, pastor, so uh, oddly enough, there could be some people here who aren't all that familiar with who you are and kind of how you ended up here. So talk a bit about, talk a bit about yourself. Uh, I was an uh, atheist in uh, high school and college and uh, went to a party one night in college and a guy shared his experience of meeting Jesus and made sense to me, went home, prayed a prayer. And uh, like prayer, like, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I want to know you and ready to live for you. And I uh, woke up the next morning believing it was pretty dramatic kind of thing. My friend and I, we quit college together, uh, travel around the country. This is the tail end of the Jesus people movement. And so we just went to places to see how real Jesus was and uh, had extraordinary experiences. You know, and then from there, um, I got more education uh, became a failed missionary in South America, uh, went, um, got some more education, came out here to uh, Folsom to start Oak Hills Church in 1984. So church starts in 1984. Uh, talk about sort of how it got started, what the early days were. We have plenty of time, don't worry. About no, it. I'm just, people keep calling me on really? my phone just right now. So. Holly, did Holly just No, it was Cameron Fajardo, but that's... <laughs> All right. Is Cameron back there? Yep, we get yeah. a bouncer and get him okay, out of here. That's right, thanks. Yep. Really funny. Yep. Immature. Real mature, Cameron. Very immature, Cameron. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. So, early days of the church, how it got started, where it met, who, where it started out of sunrise, all that. Yeah, well, we, um, our first building, we started as a Bible study up in El Dorado Hills back in... August of uh, 2000 or 1984, uh, what my kids refer to as the late 1900s, um, and 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 the the uh, and uh, we've rented some retail space over where what's the name of the place now? Is it Kentucky Fried Chicken? There used to be Teal Peppy's, Margaritaville back in the day, um, but uh, we rented some retail space there. Um, the church that was our sponsoring church really didn't send a lot of people from them. So I was walking neighborhoods, knocking on doors. But then I joined the Young Marriage, Diane and I joined the Young Marriage group at that church, sponsoring church. And um, we just kind of stole them and brought them out. They became the, the, beginning, the beginning of our church. Uh, some, of, some of you... I don't know if any of you Harrison's are here. Harrison's here. That. Were they there? They weren't a part of that. No. So this would be Grendel's, okay. Skulix, and those guys. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's how we started. The, the, the first years of the church were, it's like you had a party and everyone came. We grew to around a couple hundred people, but everyone knew each other. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was this, this really, really uh, fun time together. If you could distill the purpose of the church then. <laughs> What would you say it was? Yeah, I had so little training uh, and education on the theology of the church. Mm -hmm. So I think I just kind of stepped in the prevailing model, a little more contemporary, a little more of a fun ethic. But the purpose of the church was, you know, it's like typical, you know, to, to love God, to love people, to bring people in the kingdom of God, those, those, those kinds of things. But it was a very, uh, what I would refer to now as the prevailing church model. Uh, that most churches, 99% of churches. And just a word, Folsom then was, you remember how, how the size of it? Uh, substantially less. Where the, if you remember, if you can think of where Kentucky Fried Chicken is, the old McDonald's there across the street from it, that's about ended at that point. 
So all that stuff beyond that to the freeway is all new during that wow. time. Intel had just come in, and uh, and so it was it put the Folsom on the map in terms of you know good paying jobs, and um, so that's how it was. It was, it was quite small, very fast growing uh, environment back there in those times. Contra today. Uh, when we started the church in that time, all you had to do is have a garage band of some kind, um, and a uh, you can string sentences together that kind of make sense, and people would come. Um, that's just this is not the case today. Right. The, the religious uh, in post Christendom, which we are in, the the religious marketplace has just shrunk uh, uh, very very much, and this is why church is trying to start using the old model or having such a difficult time right. just to draw the crowd. So a couple of phrases based on a couple of dates, which are important just in terms of understanding the history of Oak Hills. So just elaborate on them a little bit. Don't have to give the whole story, but right. 1990, the Chicago 7. Yeah, the Chicago 7, that's if those of you are politics buffs are from the 1967, 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago where Abby Hoffman and all those people came along and those of the Chicago 7 who tried to disrupt that. They all went to jail and came out and became wolves of Wall Street after yep. that. So, <laughs> the, the, um, so that didn't last long. Right. The, the, but, the, uh, but we called ourselves that because we went, we realized at that point in the church we had grown, a couple hundred people were coming, um, we all loved each other, it was fun, but we recognized that the, except for a token Tom and Jeannie Pooley over here. Not many of the uh, people coming at that time uh, were, were come, came to Christ through the church. So we're getting people from other churches. We felt that was wrong. Willow Creek Church, of course, in Barrington, South Barrington, Illinois, was on the religious map during those days. And they were doing this, what they called a seeker-targeted uh, church, uh, where the whole orientation is around lost people, people outside the family of God matter to God. So why don't they matter to us? And so we went there, the seven of us. Uh, Manuel was a part of that. Who else would have been here from that? Manuel, do you remember? Who might be here today? I can't Manuel think of it. Manuel left, I think. Manuel left. He always does that. He's, yeah. Okay, oh, there he good. is. Good. Manuel. There you go, Manuel. <laughs> but Tom Pooley was a part of that. Manuel was a part of Rick Leary was a part of that. And a, a few others. And uh, we went there and we got convicted by this idea we're going to reorient the church around uh, people outside the family of God, which is, in their uh, model, was this uh, seeker-targeted service on the weekends uh, that's oriented, more of a spectator thing you do, put on the presentation, as it were, and people who have no commitments to make, they can come and respond to the gospel at that point. Uh, what we understood of the gospel, very truncated uh, understanding uh, of, of the gospel. Uh, and so um, we poured ourselves into that. I have an old theater background, so that was helpful for me as well. Um, and, and so in that process, at the same time, we moved on to this property. We started that at the, old, the, at the Presbyterian Church down the street on Sunday afternoons and then did the Saturday nights. And then we moved on to here, and we grew very, very rapidly during that time. So that was, and that took up the 90s then. The rest of the yeah. 90s was working that out. And working that out, uh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you had this, a lot of people talk about you, there's a back door in all churches. You lose around 10% of people in a church just about yeah. every year uh, for various reasons. Um, they don't like your 
here or right, whatever. whatever. Uh, and and um, so they they leave, and uh, you just have to have a big enough front door to beat that. And we had a monstrous, you know, front door. All these people are coming in. They trickle out the back, but the numbers kept growing during that yeah. time. So that was through the 90s. We get to 2000, and the other phrase, to just elaborate on a bit, is what we affectionately call the Donner Party of Where 2000. we ate the church. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so the Donner Party of 2000. Yeah, it was during that time that growth was going very well, just to make sure that we're not seen completely as ambitious, driven, egotistical idiots during that time. We also realized that the, the call of Christ upon our lives were to go deeper into our life with him, to have lives and a community that is substantially different, dramatically and beautifully different, an alternative way of, of living in the world. Uh, but the pace of what we were doing, the demands of the organization at that time, were, uh, were, were such that it was, uh, we were torn. Because we knew there was something unhealthy about the pace we were going at. But we built this building, and uh, this, if you don't know this, this building is like um, phase one of a three-phase building, of a building that would take over this whole uh, footprint. Uh, so that the weird thing about that um, sound booth in the back, that, why is it all the way off to the side there? Is because it was built so that we could add another third that way. That building's, a, that wall's a temporary one. Then this corner stage had taken away this whole, you know, backstage would be the front. And then that wasn't even the final auditorium that we were planning on building. So we had all these ambitions to do that very, and the growth was happening. And um, so we built a building, we expected 50% growth the next year. We only got 25% growth, which was a screaming emergency in our ambitious minds back then. So we called a meeting together of the senior level staff and the elder board to um, address that fact. And I had everyone read the book, The Very Large Church by Olau Scheller, uh, which talks about as you get bigger, you have to continually reinvent yourself. A, small, a large church is not just another version of a smaller church. It's a whole different animal. And so leaders and staff people and everything have to continually reinvent themselves. There's one chapter in that, uh, and a bunch of people here were at that Donner Party. Um, uh, that the one chapter in there was a chapter on consumerism. And when I just opened up the conversation, what do you guys think of the book? You know, one by one, people came, kept coming back to that uh, chapter on consumerism, which says, fairly accurate, although a little clumsy uh, synopsis of it, is that consumerism is the most powerful force in American culture more than religion, more than politics, more than uh, patriotism, more than anything. Um, and so if the church wants to grow, they have to learn how to harness that uh, as a way to help grow. We found that to a person almost uh, um, offensive, and we started talking about it. There was one time during the meeting I remember, it was the first night, uh, where I, was, I just went into a stream of consciousness about how ambitious I was and how important it was to be seen and known uh, as a church, but also admittedly with much humiliation and shame on my part, uh, to be known as a pastor who is doing this impressive thing. And uh, I just confessed that, and, and everyone was quiet for a, like a Baptist eternity, probably so <laughs> a minute or two, but it was just silence. And uh, one guy said, this is a holy moment, and then we started praying, and the rest of the week when it was unpacking that, and we said we have to come back home and try to explain to people how we re want to recenter the church around Jesus, and 
people are going. I, th I, th I, I kind of thought we were already doing that, you know. So it was hard to uh, explain. It seems so <clears throat> vague and understandably so. If I remember right, one of the lines was, you guys had to go away on a retreat yeah. to figure out we should center the church on Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're going to jump Don't, through all let's that. Let's not go Those into are, detail. There. What's that? Let's just not go into detail. In you no, let's not. Okay. We'll be, start twitching. Yep. But uh, those were interesting, challenging. Years. Yeah, we lost around 1,500 people, I think, yeah. in total of who, who left during that time. And uh, not all left nicely. And uh, particularly you were mean at times uh, <laughs> during, during that time. I was mean as well. And I repent greatly. Because I think one of the things I did so terribly wrong is that many people had such extraordinary experiences with God during those seeker days, came to Christ, had their lives changed, marriages saved. And by the way we started talking about things, uh, I think uh, I, I'll just own my own self, uh, trivialized it at times, uh, minimized that experience, uh, which was very dishonorable to the people whose lives were impacted there. So let's jump ahead to uh, you took a new job in the fall of 2016, as I remember, Yeah. from here, and then we'll jump over that one. Talk about what you're doing right now. Okay. Um, Right now, I'm the what's called a regional minister. Uh, in in more uh, higher church uh, organizations, it would be the bishop, who actually has some power. A regional minister has zero, uh, and so, uh, so. But my I have around 50 churches that uh, myself and Lisa Schmidt. Who Lisa? Are you there? She's over there, I think. Yep. Hi, Lisa. Uh, everyone, say hi to Lisa. She, and, hold on, everyone say hi to John. Hi, John. Hi, John. <laughs> Lisa is uh, the reason there's still a NorCal association right now. So, um, But I'm, I, we, oversee wouldn't be the right word. We have to, we are in relationship with 50 other churches, and that's, that's, um, that's giving too much meat to the term relationship. But it's, there's, a, there's around 50 churches that we work with. Um, you know, there's simple things like people want to get ordained, so I work through the ordination process with, with, with people and put up a, a credentials committee and those kinds of things, cast a vision. We have retreat. We've got annual meetings. I meet with pastors who are going through difficult times. Um, but mostly what I do and what... Lisa and Sarah, another person who works with us, what we work on is seeking to help those who are hungry, who are asking questions, how to have a reimagination of what the church can be going forward. How do we support uh, enthusiastically, because it, it's so beautiful, the, the things that are happening in the prevailing model church, um, <clears throat> but still trying to cast a vision for how it could be different, and what kind of experiments we can create. And I want to really emphasize, I, when I, I've, even in my previous time at the international office, I was traveling all over Canada and the United States, big cities, small cities, little towns, um, small churches, big churches. Everywhere I went, if you have the eyes to see, um, you, you, you see this beauty of what God is up to. It's the most beautiful people who are sacrificing, who are just thoroughly good people. And, uh, and so that's, that's always good. God's at work in all those places. I do have a tendency to think that some of the structures we have now um, are failing us to do church, uh, simply, largely because we're in a post-Christian world. 
uh, and people just, uh, the, as I mentioned before, crassly, the religious marketplace has shrunk, less and less people. Uh, I would say 60 to 70% of non-church people uh, in, this is a Folsom area, non-church people, 60 or 70% will never go to church again, uh, apart from a, a funeral or a, a wedding. They just, they're done, they've made their decision. And the only way we reach those people is with expressions of the church that, uh, that are beautiful and have a different way of, of introducing the realities of Christ. So when you've, you've talked about all these churches, the, the, just to clarify, I don't know if he said this, but the regional minister of the Northern California Association of, that Oak Hills is part right. of, so we're one of those 50. Yes, um, <clears throat> the best. The best? My favorite. We're, we're number one? Number one. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Uh, no question. So when you, when you, between the international office and between what you do now, you're around a lot of churches and a lot of, see all different shapes and sizes. So can you pinpoint, you just mentioned one, can you pinpoint a crucial issue or two that you just see every church or every pastor or leader or leadership team grappling with, struggling with, facing? Not everyone is facing them. Uh, many churches, they have the same difficulties, all churches I think do, but some have their proverbial heads in the sand or they're just so overwhelmed with surviving, keeping going, so they lack the imagination. We've always talked about working on a church, the structure of a church is like working on a car while you're driving it. And so, you know, Sundays keep coming, and so it's very hard to, to get that space. I think God gave us some of that space during the pandemic, and people just got angry instead of re reflecting during that time. I think the greatest thing that we have to f just admit to ourselves, and the pandemic demonstrated that in politics and the elections and the racial uh, injustices, uh, our response to all that demonstrated that we are hardly any different from the rest of the world. There are the same kinds of antagonisms in churches uh, same kind of anger, same kind of binary thinking, the same kind of throwing stones at each other, name-calling, uh, driven by the news media, by social media, and all those things. And it has, um, we, had, we lost our witness. We had nothing really to say during that time, that time because we were not an alternative community and had not dedicated ourselves to the ability to sit with each other in the presence of the Holy Spirit, submit to each other, submit to the Spirit of God, be indifferent to my will, hear what God is saying, and seek to follow at that point. Uh, um, Oak Hills is, you know, as, as I said, I, not just actually shining you on here. You guys have, have done a marvelous job in getting at these things. So that's a big thing. We're not that different. Uh, we already mentioned the issue of consumerism um, uh, is, a, is a big part of it. I would say, and this may sound a little rude, but our churches, the structure of the prevailing model church, uh, is a, a structure that encourages consumerism. You know, come to our church on this Sunday uh, and we'll put the service on. We got a really cool, or used to have a cool worship leader. Uh, we we have, um, you know, really handsome, gray-haired man as the as the uh, as the pastor. We've got all these um, cool programs, centralized programs you can come to. And so people go down a list of churches and say, I like what Oak Hills has. 
but you can simply come and sit and be a part of this. Uh, and if you like it, you stay and give. If you don't, you go someplace else. That's what the structure has done. It's created that, and we've been in charge of the structure, so we have to, to own that. I think um, another big issue would be um, Christian nationalism. I think that's one of the tougher things that at least many churches are having to deal with today, a confusion about where our loyalties lie, of how different the way of Jesus needs to be in this world. And we have found ourselves in many times following people who are mostly anti-Christ in how they present these things. And, and, and I think that's a tough one. Um, oh, and the last one is... Uh, you have to deal with the fact that young people particularly are leaving the church in droves. People in general are leaving the church in droves, but young people uh, particularly. And you're not going to bring them back by being hipper, might can get all tatted up and wear skinnier jeans and those kinds of things. But that's, that's, that's not going to work, nor would it be that attractive. But, but I... I uh, the, uh, that's not a high risk. On no, that's not, no, I doubt that very much. <laughs> Turtleneck. Yeah, grow the hair long with yeah. the ponytails. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, there is a, uh, and it's so tough because we're in the middle of it, but we're in generational changing now. Um, and it's hard, particularly those of us that just live in the moment, to, to kind of feel it. But the change is huge, but it may be a generation or two as it gets worked out. Young people will, uh, the phrase I use is that young people are, do not want to take over daddy's business of the church. Um, there's something new that has to happen. And we have to figure out how to unleash that energy and how to uh, in encourage that. So there's, there's a few other things I want to get to. Sure. Uh, and sure, the sure. next one kind of <laughs> flows right from what you're talking about. I mentioned this earlier, but this year, we, next year, we, plan, we expect to be out of debt early in the year. We have a group of people that are going to start meeting in January to try to discern and slowly and carefully pray and dream and imagine about some of these freed up resources in light of many of the things you're saying, where do we put those resources to influence the culture for the kingdom is kind of the, the driver. So what I want to ask you, Kent, is Hello. I want you to imagine there are no constraints, no requirements, no restrictions on what we could do with this, and the question was just posed to you, if you were in charge of those resources, what would you do? A fund for ex-pastors probably would be something to put... I think the... Um, the uh, I think... Um, Let's say that that's okay, the, off the... We'll put okay. that over here by the piano. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, kudu, kudos, right? Yeah, kudos. kudos. Kudu yep. is something else. Kudos to... Um, to all of you who are involved in that planning and dreaming and just the fact that you guys are doing that and creating space versus just getting together and arguing and strategizing. And part of the, uh, the belief you want to have is God's up to something here. Right. And he may be working in all this. And so we create space and pay attention. That's so encouraging and so few churches do it in that way. So way to go. A uh, second thing I would say is... Um, this may be weird. It's okay. The money's not that important. Um, don't think it's going to change that much. Most of what you can do, you can do what you, what you can do now without that money. 
the most important stuff. The, the, um, uh, when we think that, okay, this money's come, now we can change the world. Uh, it's just not true. And uh, the biggest obstacles from what God, doing what God is calling us to do is us, you know, not the lack of funds. So that just should be held in a, in, in, with a, a sense of awareness. Uh, and then the, I think the third thing, getting into some things, I would just do, I mean, I love what you guys are doing uh, across the street at the apartments there, the, the kind of intentional neighboring, the, the things that I hear you guys talking about. I think that we have to dream about ways to create these um, alternative communities who are tight together, who meet together regularly, who eat together, who celebrate the Lord's table together, who are on mission together, uh, and who are caring for each other, who's all the, all the kids in that group, their faces, their pictures are on our refrigerator. And so there's this kind of intimacy of being in these smaller, decentralized groups that are on mission uh, together. And any ways that we can figure out how to multiply them. I mean, some of the things, I'm trying to find like five singles or couples in Northern California who say, hey, let's go move to this town and let's just do this experiment. Let's all move in the same neighborhood so the mission becomes the neighborhood. It's hard to find that. It's hard to get that kind of group. It's easier to get some people maybe to go to India or Brazil or something, but it's tougher sometimes to get someone to just move into another town and say, let's see if this experiment of the church actually works and, and uh, let's live in, into this disciplined, uh, community of shared practices where we are experiencing the presence of Christ among us. That's awesome. So speed round. Yes. <clears throat> Just a phrase two, sentence or two on the following. Okay, ready? Yeah. A word to older Oak Hillians defined as however one wants to define older. So they could be older like they chronologically could... or how long they've been here? Or they may not see themselves as old, they but... They just haven't been told yet? Yep, they haven't been told, the, yep, uh, haven't um, looked in the mirror for a long time, whatever. A word to older O'Killians. One of the biggest struggles, and I'll try to get this fast, but we live in a productivity culture, not a wisdom culture. And so what is valued in our culture, our society in North America, is uh, productivity. And, uh, and so we've been trained that ever since we're young to get older. Problem is, you get older, you become less productive in some ways. And so people who sense as they get older, their lack of productivity or people coming up along next to them who maybe have more energy, more juice, more ideas, there's this kind of fear, kind of uh, insecurity, inadequacy that people feel. And so they begin to cling and hold on to positions of, of structural power and, and such. And um, it's not that old people, and I think we need to admit this, is that old people don't become wise by becoming old. You know, old people, an old, a young fool becomes an old fool unless there's something uh, that works. And since we don't have a culture that values wisdom, the development of wisdom, we, we're having more and more older people who oftentimes are clinging and making sure that things don't change and holding on to. And so uh, what I would say with older people, uh, older O'Killians, keep growing, keep letting go, um, be curious, don't be so set in your ways, recognize that um, God is always up to new things, and we have to be present with other people and hear and listen. 
A word to the leaders of Oak Hills. Mark chapter 10, uh, when the James and John, I believe, was it? Uh, Sons of Thunder, James uh -huh. and John, yeah. They, uh, they came to um, Jesus and said, we want to sit in your right and left, and Jesus, I can't do that for you. And all the other disciples were, um, uh, what was the word? They were upset by it. They were indignant at it. But they weren't indignant because James and John were asking an inappropriate thing. They were indignant because James and John were asking the thing that they wish they had thought of asking themselves. And so Jesus made it, and he's, this happened quite a few times. He made it very clear. He said, this is the way the, the Gentiles do. This is how it's done in the world. People power over. And if you are a student of politics, if you watch all the horrendous things that are happening now, we'll continue throughout this next year. Look at the nature of power involved in all that. It's how do we have power? How do we tell lies to have power? How do we influence people by sound bites, by various commercials? How do we get people to do what we want them to do by brute strength or manipulation or whatever? And Jesus says, that's not how we do it. Not so with you guys. So, and I see this so well with what I hear about all the elders here at uh, Oak Hills and the Administrative Council and the various other volunteers you mentioned earlier. Um, this commitment to, to discernment and submission to each other, to live in submission, to have an idea, show up big, argue it strongly. Of course, we need that passion and, and, and stuff, but at the end of the day, we know how to be indifferent to our will because we trust that God's behind it all and we can trust him, we can trust each other and that kind of depth of humble, submissive uh, community that recognizes the power of God is different than the power of the world. Younger O'Killians. Younger O'Killians, um, so much, so much, I'll, I'll try to limit it. Take risks. Uh, dream. You know, again, when I I mentioned I, when I became a Christian, I quit college and traveled around the country. I just wanted to see how real God was. And uh, we younger people have a tendency these days to get old too fast, I think. And part of it is go take some risks. Form a band of people who will go start one of these alternative communities. Go move to this town. Uh, uh, I know at Oak Hills there would be such enthusiastic uh, celebration of that kind of energy. And so, so go do those things and uh, see how real God is. And um, one of the things younger leaders have to accept and recognize that even though many times younger leaders are bothered by the current structures of the church, they like to, for good reason, very good reason, throw stones at it. When it comes to them then saying, okay, let's start this new thing, they have to face the fact that they still have been formed by a church where everything is done for them. You come, there's a parking space, there's coffee made for you, there's, there's a children's program, there's a guy up here speaking or a woman up here speaking, there's worship done. You can come and sit there, you can't fold your arms, you know, wear a bless me, I dare you t-shirt. And, uh, and it's just, you're, we're formed by that spectator mentality. And so uh, I find people with all sorts of hungry for, hunger for a different way of doing church, but without the courage to, to go do it. Uh, with another community of people, because it's really hard work. So if my math is correct, you'll be 70 in February. Yeah, right? That's right. So when you started Oak Hills, that makes you 30. 
Yes. So what's your word to your 30-year-old self? There's so many things. I'd love to sit that sucker down, actually. Um, <clears throat> it's like in Shawshank. When yeah. You're, right? <laughs> Pull you out of that Hilton you've been living in. The, the, um, the, the, uh, I would say um, pay, pay attention to ambition. It's not a, not a good thing. Uh, pay more attention to the miracles all around you, the beauty, the unheralded, un, unexpressible beauty that we see in people and in good things all around us. And don't, don't get caught up in the empire building. Um, the thing that I feel good about, though, is I think I'm talking to myself at 30. I don't think talking to 30-year-olds now those temptations are anywhere near as strong as they were when I was. When I'm interviewing church planters now who are younger church planters, they're all talking about how do we discern together in community. They're all talking about how to submit my will to, to others. It's us old farts who have that carryover of the sense of power over uh, building our big empire and tr trying to be impressive with it. So um, I would, that would be one thing I would say. Okay. Last thing, <clears throat> you're going to be 70 in Second February. Time brought that up. Yep. <laughs> A word to Mike Lucan, who's still in his 50s. That's uh, called a, a misrepresentation. Though. It is? I'm in my 50s? Yeah, and I'm in my 60s. I said, okay. in February, yeah, you right, turn yeah. 70. In January, you turn 60. Ah, that's uh, the, um, Details, details. Details, details. <clears throat> Um, well, I, frankly, I don't want to say too much to make you feel too good about yourself. No, I don't want you to. I want to feel bad about myself. No, you I know. I do. That. I do. So maybe it's good. I think you're doing this so much, this kind of learning as you get older, so much better than most. Um, I think the, um, the, the recognition that you're not the future, the recognition that you don't have the answers, the recognition that much of your job right now is to let go and to do whatever you can with your energy to train and to invest yourself in younger people who will do things that you might disagree with. And I, I think that uh, you're already doing that, and uh, I would just say keep, keep it up. Good. That's a good word. So can you, uh, we're going to ditch the final song. Okay. There is food back there. Would you... Pray for us and then offer a benediction. I don't do benedictions. The, um, <laughs> not going to get your... Uh... Not going to get my food or, or the, the ex-pastor fund. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, right. That's growing as we speak. <laughs> Father, Son, and Spirit, I'm, uh, I look on this, this, this sea of faces and see so many who I have known and who have done such extraordinarily wonderful good things for so many years, so many I don't know, but I see in them the, the innocence, in the best sense of that word, that second naivete, that belief that God is real, that he's up to something, um, wanting to be in on it, 
but moving away from much of the ego that is sometimes a part of that. So I, I pray a blessing upon Oak Hills Church that as they move into this next season, uh, a season where uh, non-church people are asking completely different questions and how to respond and interact with non-church people is going to be a whole different skill set than what we are trained on. That you would give this church the grace uh, to, and the courage to be a, um, a uh, signpost of the kingdom of God right here in Folsom. That uh, you would give Oak Hills as a church family increased contentment, increased joy, and increased confidence in you. And uh, that they would be able to demonstrate how real you are through their life together. In Christ's name, amen.